Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome along to Tradies News in a nutshell for your Tuesday morning. It is the 1st of August already, 2023. Daniel Pettigrew back in the chair, broadcasting through SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, SENQ 693 AM in Brisbane, and SEN 1620 AM on the Gold Coast. one 1170 our open line number. You can text 0457 736 736. That's all before breakfast with Vossi and Copes, Trent Copeland, for our listeners in Sydney and for our listeners in Queensland, Pat and Hills to take you through the breakfast show after 6 o'clock. Big show. A lot to get through this morning. The cricket England win. We'll get to that. The Matildas, very good last night against Canada, actually topping their group. We'll talk about that as well. A legend of the AFL announced his retirement yesterday. Lots of NRL news as well. So a lot to get through, but really want to hear from you. one 1170 0457 736 736 Also this morning, uh, we are going to have a chat with uh, Paul Dennett, as long as he's awake, because I did see him tweeting about an hour or so ago. So he's been awake all night. Uh, he says he'll be awake. We'll, we'll, we'll check in with him. Uh, we'll have a chat with him, uh, hopefully, in about half an hour to review the Ashes. Um, and we'll also look back at the Matildas win last night as well. So lots to get through. Let's get going. It's two past five. Tuesday morning, Traders News in a nutshell. The Hot Topic, thanks to Rheem. Built tough for Aussie conditions. When it comes to water heating, ask your plumber to install a Rheem. Except nothing less than Australia's best at installer ream, Australia's favourite hot water. All right, where to start? Um, well, let's just, let's just quickly, and we'll go talk more about Buddy Franklin a bit later on in the show, and we'll definitely talk more about it tomorrow um, morning with Matty Cox, host of Tradies News in Melbourne. He uh, will be all over it. We'll hear a lot more from him. Um, if you want to have your say on Buddy, happy to hear from you. 0457 736 736 or 1300 01. 1170 definitely transcended the Sydney Swans, at least in terms of the popularity off the field. But on the back of Buddy's retirement, um, not, maybe not best one club players because, of course, he played for Hawthorne as well. But give me some of the greats of each any game, your favourite players of all time. That's easy. Favourite players of all time in any sport because not only that, we've seen Stuart Broad and we're about to hear what he did um, just a few hours ago in just a second. Uh, he's retired now. So your favourite players of all time, who's some of the icons in any sport that has stood out? And if you want to pay tribute to Buddy Franklin, we'll hear from John Longmire a bit later on in the show. You can do so. one 736 The icons, the ones you just love. Uh, any sport, any era. Favourite players of all time. one 1170 0457-736-736. Now, we will get to the Matildas on the other side of the next break. That is a great victory for them last night in Melbourne, and we'll focus on that very shortly. But let's just start out with the crickets. England have claimed the final Ashes test of this enthralling series, winning a tense final day uh, at the Oval by 49 runs. Chris, Ro Chris Wokes did the damage for the home side after a controversial ball change, which seemed to flip the game on its head. Wokes and Ali run th ran through Australia after a long rain delay before Stuart Broad finished the job with some typical magic in his final game. So Broad's got half an over left here at Carey. Can he keep it going? Bowls here. Carey, top behind! Broad's finished it in magnificent style. Australia with a 2-0 advantage in this series. Their wait to win in England will last another four years at least. 
England square the series 2-0 and it feels fitting. And their victors today on the final session of the final test by 49 runs. An emblematic moment. The series has been nip and tuck all the way, but when it mattered most today, England's bowlers showed up. Chris Wokes, Moen Ali, the veteran, in all probability playing his final test match. And Stuart Broad, his final spell for England, finding the edge a couple of times. Job done. Australia all out for 334. The series squared. Yeah, and Stuart Broad, quite rightly, getting the last wicket after he announced his retirement from Test Match Cricket over the weekend. Uh, so it was an interesting one, wasn't it? Australia started the day at none for 135, and everyone thought that they were a big chance. Uh, a lot of rain around as well, but in the end, not good enough. Um, at one stage, they were also three for 264 before losing seven for 70 in the evening session, ultimately bowled out for 334. So David Warner ended up making 60. Elizabeth Kwaja made 72. But then after that, Manish Lubbershane only made 13. Steve Smith, 54. Travis Head, 43. Mitch Marsh was out for six. Alex Carey for 28. Mitch Stark got a duck. Pat, uh, Pat Cummins got nine. Todd Murphy, 18. Josh Hazelwood was left not out on for England, squaring up the series at two all. Let's firstly hear from uh, Pat Cummins after the match. Pat, thanks for your time uh, as ever. Ben said two all, a fair reflection on the series. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, two really high quality teams that um, seemed like every session was, uh, you know, shared, shared the honours. So I think two two is fair, wonderful series to be part of. Um, you came in here only needing a draw at the Oval, but um, even though you're chasing a, a, a massive total in the fourth innings, it never looked, certainly today, as if you were settling for a draw. It looked like you wanted to win today. Yeah, of course. No, I didn't even enter the conversation at all. Um, yeah, we said from the start, you know, we're over here to try and win the Ashes, and um, yeah, that's why we all start playing cricket. You know, you want to win, win test matches, be out there for the last ball, and um, yeah, unfortunately not to be, but great, get, great day. So are, are there mixed emotions for you? Because in a minute you'll be, you know, given the ashes, they're in your safekeeping. But for many of your players who won't be coming back to England, there's a few who won't be here again, um, there won't be the, the win in England on the CV. Yeah, in some ways. I think, you know, we could be hugely proud of retaining the ashes. Um, it's no easy feat against a really high-quality English side in their own conditions. But, of course, yeah, we, we wanted to come over here and won. Um, it's a similar group to 2019, and it just, yeah, it just felt like we left. We just sat a little bit short from the goal. So it's a really proud group. I think, as Starkey said, it's been a great tour for us. Um, yeah, unfortunate not to be, but, yeah, what a great series. Um, and how proud are, are you of your players? Because you were put under significant pressure at times in the series. I suspect maybe, you know, in that middle session at Old Trafford, perhaps more pressure than you'd felt before in Test cricket. Yeah, it's, there's so many moments throughout this series. Um, I think that's what makes playing in Ashes, especially in away Ashes, so difficult. It's not only on the field, it's the crowd, the, um, you know, the media. You get thrown everything at you, which is great. You wouldn't want it any other way. Um, and we felt that this series. They're so really proud of how we've stuck strong um, and, yeah, you know, pretty consistent throughout. A couple of moments, if you change, might have made a difference, but great series. Could you pinpoint those moments that you kind of look back on and think, what if? Oh, I think you could probably find 100 and the other team the same. But, yeah, there's no point looking at it. Um, yeah, 2-2 two is the score. Um, I wondered whether you wanted to say anything about St Stuart Broad, who 
you know, is a similar uh, cricketer to yourself, a seam bowler leading things off there with the new ball and he's announced his retirement. Um, he must be a player that you've enjoyed playing against and enjoyed competing against. Yeah, great competitor. Um, Stewie's always seemed to save his best for Australia. Um, you know, it's been plenty of flat days in Australia. Um, that is a fast bowler. He's got to grit your teeth and bowl and he just runs in all day. Um, I think I've played a third of the amount of test matches he's played. I can't fathom playing that many. So, um, huge congrats. Great competitor. Love playing against him. And, um, yeah, wish him all the best. And I, I think I, I speak for everybody in this ground and everybody watching that it's been an absolutely fantastic series. Uh, you've done yourself proud and your team uh, have done themselves proud. So, many congratulations. You're about to go and receive the urn, which is in safekeeping. Well done. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks. Pat Cummins post-match with Michael Atherton. So the series wrapping up at two all. Australia retain the Ashes. Uh, but as you heard there, Pat Cummins a bit disappointed that they didn't go on to win the Ashes, but two all. So they retain it. Best series ever? Maybe the second best series ever. Uh, maybe. Which one do you have higher? Do you have this series higher? So, so entertaining. Or do you have the 2005 Ashes series just still above it? I probably have 2005 just because uh, it was just, uh, obviously, uh, the fourth test last week was rained out to all. Um, mm, 2005 probably just ahead of this one, but it's very hard to split them. 2005 or this one, which is the best Ashes series? Is there another one that you'd like to mention? Maybe one that wasn't as close, but one you love watching anyway. Um, and is two all a fair result? Are you happy? Well, are you happy with two all? Do you think it's a fair result? Do you think Australia deserved to retain the Ashes? They did lead 2-0 in the series. Uh, so well done to England for fighting back at 2-all. Fair result. Uh, is it your favourite Ashes series? Is this the best Ashes series you've ever seen? And now that the Ashes are done, and we might ask Paul Dennett about this in about 20 minutes' time, uh, the next time Australia play in terms of Test Match cricket, would you be making any changes? Uh, you've seen the five Test Matches unfold. You've seen who's been in form. You've seen who's been struggling. Would you be making any changes for the Australian summer coming up in a few months' time? one 1170 or 0457-736-736. Your thoughts on all of that from the cricket best series ever, second best seri series ever. Um, fair result and any changes you'd be making, one 1170 or 0457-736-736. Now, we'll switch our attention in a second to the Matildas. What a great win over Canada last night. Just before that, just a couple of rugby league stories to get through on a pretty busy morning. Uh, we mentioned Wally Lewis yesterday. Uh, just awful news. And again, our thoughts are with him and his family. Uh, but more news coming out of that story um, that Wally Lewis has revealed that several players of his generation are also battling dementia symptoms as the league legend urged current players to embrace the war against concussion. Lewis believes the presence of independent doctors ruling on concussion issues is a step forward for the game. Um, he said yesterday, I've had considerable reactions since Sunday night. There are a couple of other blokes who I've spoken to in recent times who are battling similar things to me. When you get told you ask the same question three times in 10 minutes, you know something is not right. A lot of people were good enough to make the call to me, and that is good. We were all playing the game we loved. I still feel very fortunate to have played the game. 
so, yeah, a bit of a scary story there. And, again, we wish our best uh, to Wally Lewis and the rest of his family and friends. And just some news around uh, Valentine Holmes as well. The Cowboys, we know they suffered that loss to the Titans last oh, on Sunday. Um, North Queensland said Val Holmes is facing a three-match ban with an early guilty play for his high shot on Gold Coast Jaden Campbell. And a huge blow for the Cowboys, who faced Brisbane on Saturday. That's a three o'clock game on Saturday. Holmes will cop four matches if he faces the judiciary and loses. He was hit with a grade two careless high tackle charge for the hit on Campbell in Sunday's loss to the Titans, which is the Star Centre's uh, third similar offence. In other judiciary news, Canterbury's Reed Marning escaped with a $1,000 fine for his shoulder charge on the Dolphins' Josh Kerr. I tell you what, if the Cowboys are without Val Holmes for three, maybe four weeks. That is a huge loss. And everyone was talking about the Cowboys last week and uh, how they'd won six in a row and they were playing good footy, but a loss to the Titans. Very hard game coming up against the Broncos. And if they lose that, their season might be looking a lot different. Cowboys, can they make the eight without Val Holmes? It is such an intriguing race to the top eight. I know, uh, at least in Sydney, the Daily Telegraph has written an article today about potential final uh, predictors to see how and what your team would have to do if they're still in contention for the top eight to make the finals. It's an intriguing final five rounds, but that is bad news for the Cowboys if Val Holmes is to miss the next three or four weeks. one 300 70 or 0457-736-736. Your thoughts on any of that? Your thoughts on the cricket? Fair result? Best series ever? And are there any changes you would make for the Australian home summer? Someone in, someone out. one 736 If you want to pay tribute to Buddy Franklin, who announced his retirement effective immediately yesterday, you can. And who are some of your favourite players of all time in any sport? Who are the ones that stand out for you that you just loved watching? one 700 or 0457-736-736. After the break, though, we're going to turn our attention to a magical night for the Matildas in the Women's World Cup, and we'll have a chat with John Gallo next. It's 14 and a half past five. 19 past five, Andy says on the cricket, he says, much prefers some of our five nil wins. Well, yes, I mean, that was good. I, I always remember, and we'll talk to uh, Paul Dennett from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast in about 10 minutes about uh, this series just gone. If you're just switching on the radio, just woken up, England have won the fifth and final test, so two all in the end. Always remember the 2013 Ashes, or 2012, was it 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014? Anyway, uh, when Mitch Johnson um, went, Man, no one really wanted him in the team beforehand, and he had just a fantastic series. So your favourite Ashes series of all time, was that a fair result to all? I think it probably was in the scheme of things. I think pretty evenly poised these two teams, evenly matched. And what changes would you be making for the Australian home summer, if any? Would you be making any changes? You can pay tribute to Buddy Franklin. You can tell me some of your favourite players of all time, which are the ones that really stood out. one 300 or 0457-736-736, or any thoughts on this from last night? Steph Catley's got some space. Two in the middle of weights. Catley looking for the left foot. Works it in. It's bubbling around. Rasso's there. She's in the area. Rasso! But it will be nullified. It's offside. Within the run. Oh, hang on. Oh. It's a goal. They've oh, given my goodness. It. The double check has given the goal to Australia. Corner here for Australia. Kyra Cooney cross. An in-swinging ball on the right boots to the back post. It takes a bobble. It's on the goal line. It's been turned in. 
Haley Rasso puts it in, and now it is 2 0 for Australia. It didn't take long. Haley Rasso has a break. Long down the left flank for Australia, into space as well. Caitlin Ford's in behind the defence, needs options in the box. There's none at the moment. She continues on, Caitlin Ford, cuts it back. Mary Fowler off the post and in. Mary Fowler, she doesn't know whether to celebrate or not. <laughs> celebrate, Mary, you've got a goal. Down the right side to Lacasse, and there's a whistle. Just as Lacasse was starting to motor up, they have stopped their advantage, and there's going to be a check for a penalty. And there's going to be a penalty <laughs> for the Matildas. Melbourne waits on its feet. Steph Catley in her hometown. Left foot, it's in. The Matildas are on their way to the round of 16. Steph Catley. A dream night for the Matildas. 4-0 over Canada. John Gallo on the line. Morning to you, John. What a, well, almost what a turnaround from the first couple of games. I know the Matildas won their first game against Ireland. Uh, struggled, uh, what, Thursday night. But then last night, fantastic victory and all without Sam Kerr. Yeah, morning, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic night for, for Matildas fans and for Australian football uh, in general. I think it was just a, a surprise as well, in all fairness. I think, you know, after the first two group games where we really struggled in our performances uh, as Matildas, we just, there was no real click in our performance. There was no real togetherness. That, that really fast-paced attack of football went missing. And there was a little bit of fear that it was going to go missing against this uh, Canadian team who was very, very good on the ball, very tacky, very good defensively in their first two games. But I tell you what, it just was a complete 180. It was the Matildas dominating, playing fast, attacking football, you know, really good with the possession and really going at the Canadians for pretty much the full 90 minutes. They just didn't let up at all. And the Canadians defensively, I mean, they let four goals in at the end of the day. And mm. obviously the last goal was a penalty, but but rightly given, I think, as well, when you look back on it. But, yeah, I think the, the performance was just unbelievable from Matilda's. Well done. And I think it's really been a, a real whirlwind of, of the last, uh, you know, couple of hours overnight because I think it's got a lot of the Matilda's fans excited now as to how deep can we now go into the World Cup tournament now that we're in the uh, knockout stages. And, uh, you know, it was a really good you know, win for the Matildas. Unfortunately for Canada, now that loss means that they're out of the knockout mm. stage. They don't qualify past the group stage. So obviously for them, it's a, it's a huge defeat. But um, well done to the Matildas. I think they really did really well. Like said, Mary Fowler, Ali Russo just stepped up to the plate and delivered. And, uh, and as I said, the wave of attack constantly throughout that 90 minutes was very, very impressive for the Matildas. Yeah, and Nigeria and Ireland had a nil-all draw. You mentioned now how far the Matildas can go because, and we'll talk about what might be potentially coming up in, in a second, but you, you talk about the Matildas before the tournament. Um, and everyone, look, everyone is excited that the World Cup is on home soil in Australia and New Zealand anyway. Um, but I think people, probably rightly, were a little concerned after their loss the other night, but with Sam Kerr still hopefully to come back, they've now got a week off. They don't play again until next Monday. The confidence, especially after beating the defending Olympic champions 4-0, has to be high, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And and to do it without Sam Kerr as well. I mean, we know Sam Kerr was a little bit on edge whether she'd play or not. They kind of said, look, we're going to keep her on the bench and then see how the game evolves. But um, obviously when you're up 2-0 going into half time, it was pretty much a, a given that Sam Kerr was going to stay on the bench until you know anything changed from there. But they just pressed on in the second half and, and went on their way. 
continually just dominating the game in the second half. So obviously there was no need to, to really play Sam Kerr, which is good because it gives her the extra time that she needs to recover from her calf injury. But yeah, I think it was really good because I think going into that game, a lot of people thought, look, it, it all lies on Sam Kerr's shoulders, to be honest. A lot of people were thinking that if she didn't play, it was going to be almost end of the world stuff. It was going to be really doomsday for the Matildas, given the first two group games, performance-wise, just were not at the standard. And, you know, we were, everyone was fearful going into this game because we, our two performances, particularly against Nigeria in the second group game, were just not there. And uh, that was the biggest concern. We weren't having our players pick up and, and leave from where we were couple of years ago and that was the biggest concern no one could see who else was going to score the goals because there weren't too many people performing the way that we performed last night but I tell you what Mary Fowler lifted you know Hayley Russell as mm. mentioned lifted Corey Carpenter the, the back four was, was just very very well organised and we haven't seen that I mean don't forget against Nigeria we lost 3-2 three, three, to concede three goals it was it was a real uh, shake up to our defence and where we're at as well as our attack so to see that performance 4-0 uh, a big 180 turnaround in that, and I think it really now, as you said, the confidence must be brewing high. And I think the, the, the crowd, I said on the, on the last time I was on, I said the crowd down in Melbourne was a big factor. Getting everyone involved uh, was, was huge, I think, and I really don't think that the Canadians expected such a crowd and, and such an atmosphere throughout that course of the game. The, the Aussies were really behind the Matildas the whole way through, and uh, I think that really helped in the end. Now, quite uh, remarkably, after coming in last night, not thinking that they we all thought that it, they might not even get through, they actually now topped the group with that performance. Um, Nigeria second, as you mentioned, Canada out, Republic of Ireland, we're already out. So looking ahead to what will probably happen next for Australia, um, so because they have topped the group, unless England suffers an upset loss to China, which I think that matches on tonight, uh, they will likely face Denmark, not confirmed, but likely face Denmark on Monday in Sydney, uh, regardless, this match will be in Sydney at 8.30pm. So a bit later on a Monday night. So late night for everyone uh, next Monday night. But I think everyone will be watching in another chance. And it'll be, look, we saw what, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. The place was absolutely packed, uh, Stadium Australia, for that first Matildas game. You imagine uh, there will be, I think there was, what, 75,000 people there that night, John. I think... I would not be shocked to see this match sold out um, for next Monday's game, next Monday night at 8.30, likely against Denmark, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, obviously those games are, are playing tonight. Portugal, the US, Vietnam and the Netherlands both kick off 5pm, and then China and England and Haiti and Denmark, which is the big games that the, the Aussies will be looking at at 9pm tonight, both games. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think based on that, you expect England to, to beat China and obviously Denmark to beat Haiti, with all respect to those two nations. But... I think, yeah, I think for us, it's, it's it's nicely poised. I think, you know, Denmark is going to be difficult as well. All those, the Scandinavian countries in women's world football have been really, really good throughout, you know, many, many years in, in women's football. You'll get Sweden, Norway, Denmark, very, very strong teams. But um, it won't be easy for the Aussies. But if the crowd can turn up in Sydney Monday night, next Monday, which I think we will, I think there'll be a big crowd. I think it'll be, as you said, potentially sold out. So um, I think it'd be really, really great if that could happen because I think, again, the Matildas really going to rely on that support from, from the fans and uh, if they can put in that kind of performance that we saw last night, then who knows how far we can really go. But Denmark will be a challenge. Um, but I think the Aussies, the way they played it last night, you've got to say they've got to be favourites into that. It's, it's now how they handle the pressure. That's a big part now about it, how they handle the nerves because now we're coming to the crunch time of the tournament 
it is about how you handle that mentally more than anything else. So um, being the home favourites, it is it is extra pressure because obviously the media are talking about it all the time. It's just how the materials handle that. A little bit more of expectations now and uh, and go on from here. Now, yesterday, other results, Zambia 3, Costa Rica 1, but one I just wanted to quickly touch on, Japan 4, Spain 0. I watched bits and pieces of this match. Now, I think Spain were resting a couple of players, but that's still a very big result for Japan. Four goals over Spain. Massive. I, I, I had to say I was shocked when I saw the scoreline out last night. I, I didn't expect, I, knew, I thought it was going to be a really close game, to be honest. I mean, I think they're two really the top teams so far. I've been really impressed with Spain this, this whole tournament. I think they've been brilliant, you know, in the way they've gone about their business and, and really convincing when you look at the score lines the last two group games. But against Japan, they were just completely well off it. The Japanese, rightly, have been very impressive as well. The way they play their football, the Japanese, very tacky, very possession-orientated. But uh, so, so Spain have based themselves exactly the same way. Uh, but, yeah, I think a few players rested, probably key players for Spain. But at the end of the day, that's no excuse. You don't go in to lose 4-0 in any game of football, let alone in a World Cup tournament and before the, the knockout stage as well. So uh, I think the confidence for Spain at the moment must be really shattered, to be honest, and, and opposite for, for Japan. The Japanese must be loving life and really motivated at the moment to keep going deeper to this tournament. I think they're a really dark horse at the moment, the Japanese, and a, a team to be uh, to be feared, to be honest, the way they're playing their football. But, um, yeah, I think a, a great performance and, and one that really has shocked, I think, a lot of people watching uh, the World Cup over this uh, couple of weeks. Uh, now, today, uh, and also, also should mention a Republic Public of Ireland, Nigeria, nil. Also today, Vietnam play Netherlands. An interesting game between Portugal and USA. Just a quick tip on both of those ones. I'm going to go with the US. I think the US have shown, you know, they're slowly, you know, evolving as a team now. I think it's it's a different US team to what we saw four years ago in the World Cup. They're all a little bit more older and, and mature now. This US team, whether they've got the legs and the energy to go the full 90 minutes against the Portuguese side, that would be the question. But I think they're they're too good up front. The US, they're a really well organised team. They've been here, done it before, and they always seem to rise to the occasion as the as the tournament goes on. So. I expect the US to win one or two nil. And you expect Denmark to beat... There will be those games, by the way, on at five. Then at 9pm tonight, you expect uh, the US to beat... Uh, sorry, Denmark to beat Haiti and England to beat China? Yeah, I do, mate. And obviously, Netherlands to beat to beat Vietnam in the other 5pm game. With all respect to Vietnam, I think Netherlands will be, will be too good. All right. And we do have still a couple of days. So the four games today and then four games tomorrow, plus a couple of games on Thursday. Uh, before we get to the round of 16, the first games of the round of 16 will be on Saturday. Switzerland, Spain at 3 o'clock, followed by Japan, Norway at 6 o'clock. So some interesting games once we get there. But still a lot to unfold before we get to the round of 16. But the Matildas are there. That's the most important thing. They'll be in action Monday night at 8.30 in Sydney. I think that will attract a very big crowd and a very, very big audience, both on radio and TV. Thank you, John. We will chat uh, probably. I'm actually off Friday and Monday of this, well, the end of this week and the start of next week. So we'll probably chat Tuesday morning, definitely chat Tuesday morning next week. And let's hope the Matildas have made it through to the next stage. Absolutely, mate. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a, you have a wonderful time off, mate, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. John Gallo on the line uh, talking all things football. So well done to the Matildas. Don't forget, you can hear every game of the FIFA Women's World Cup here on SEN and the SEN Network and DAB+. Plus. We've got it all covered. Thoughts on the football last night? Can the Matildas go all the way? They played very well. Or are we getting ahead of ourselves?
It was one win. They've got to keep going uh, into the knockout stages. As I say, likely to face Denmark uh, next Monday night. It will, though, definitely be, uh, because they top their group, definitely be next Monday night at 8.30 in Sydney. And we'll find out for sure their opponents a little later on tonight. one 300 our open line number. You can text 0457 736 736. On the other side of this, we'll wrap the cricket up with Paul Dennett from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It is 23 minutes to 6 o'clock, one 300 open line number. You can text 0457 736 736. All right, let's revert our attention back to the cricket. If you're just waking up, just switching the radio on to all, England managed to win the match. Uh, and, well, Australia still retain the ashes. This, if you missed it, is how it finished. So Broad's got half an over left here at Carey. Can he keep it going? Bowls here. Carey, top behind! finished it in magnificent style. Australia with a 2-0 advantage in this series. Their wait to win in England will last another four years at least. England square the series 2-0 and it feels fitting. And their victors today on the final session of the final test by 49 runs. An emblematic moment. The series has been nip and tuck all the way but when it mattered most today England's bowlers showed up. Chris Wokes, Moen Ali, the veteran, in all probability playing his final test match. And Stuart Broad, his final spell for England, finding the edge a couple of times. Job done. Australia all out for 334. The series squared. Certainly is Adam Collins in commentary. Paul Dennett is on the line from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast to review it all. Morning to you, Paul. You've made it through another Ashes series with not much sleep. Well done. <laughs> Morning, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, it was a another thrilling test match and just pretty disappointing at the end because there's so many times in this final test that it looked like Australia was going to win. And then in the end, 49 runs short. Um, uh, it was worth staying up for, but pretty disappointing. Well, it was interesting because leading into the day's play, everyone gave Australia quite a big shot at it. They hadn't lost any wickets. Dave Warner, Ultiman Kawaja, both looking pretty comfortable. And they were cruising along various parts of the last day before they lost seven for 70. That would be a very disappointing way to end the Ashes series for them. Absolutely, especially given that they were so... Um, disappointed in 2019 to have squared the series and to now to, to have led it 2-0 um, and to be on the cusp of uh, creating history like that is especially disappointing and I, I mean you watch a lot of cricket you see this sort of thing happen where your your mind says that even though Australia at times looked like they were cruising um, we had the, the big partnership initially between Warner and Kawaja lost three wickets uh, and then um, Smith and Head look like they were taking us towards victory, and it just feels like, oh, this is going to be okay. But you sort of you've got to remind yourself you've seen this many times before, and a clump of wickets is is not too far away on a day five wicket where it did start to spin. Chris Wokes was amazing. Moen Ali just defied the fact that he sort of injured his groin to come and bowl really well on the final day, and then when it happened, it was so swift that the 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 four key wickets fell in the blink of an eye, and Australia went from, oh, we're going to do this, to, oh, no, this is um, this is gone in, in no time. And, and it's fair to say that Pat Cummins, and he said basically this after not just this match, but also the last test, that they came to England to win it. Now, they've had still a pr really good uh, time over there. They won the World Test Championship. They've retained the Ashes. But 
you would have liked them on. They would have liked to be able to say they have won the Ashes. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at 2-0 up, uh, everyone was happy that Austra what Australia were doing. But then you look at the final three test matches, uh, losing the third test match, losing this test match, the fourth test being a draw, but probably rain-saving uh, Australia. Is two all a fair result in the end? Uh, both sides seem pretty evenly matched in this series. Yeah, I think that um, no, but it's a hard one. I, I think England probably, if you look at it as a whole, might have narrowly outplayed Australia in the sense that the, the four test matches where there were results um, finished two all of them. They were pro that was probably fair enough because they all four could have gone either way. But the one test that was drawn, you're right, England were, were definitely um, disadvantaged by the rain. Australia were probably saved by the rain and England really hammered us in that game. So on the whole, you'd say maybe England slightly shaded us. However, um, Australia did lose four tosses. Um, we did um, seem to bat under leaden skies more often than England did. That's not just saying that. Every uh, Everyone's been saying that. And then even in this last game, there was the controversy of the ball being changed and that suddenly seeming to make it really start to swing. So away from home, it's very difficult in this modern era to get a result. And as you said, Australia winning the World Test Championship, coming away with the Ashes, it's a pretty high pass mark. Yes, it's disappointing. I think in time they'll reflect on a pretty successful winter. And also, when you think about it, and we know it's not the hardest job in the world, but they are away from home for a long period of time. What The World Test Championship was, what, six, seven weeks ago now? So they've been over there for a good couple of months. So it would, I suppose, take its toll after a while. Oh, absolutely. I mean, being an international cricketer is, um, an ex I mean, don't get me wrong. If I had any talent, I'd be very happy to be <laughs> yes, one. Yes, me but, too. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I remember reading Steve Waugh talking about how he said that you just don't live a normal lifestyle. You can't have a normal doctor or a dentist and you're, you're sometimes away from home 11 months in the year. It's a very unusual lifestyle. So they are handsomely rewarded for it. But yes, you're right. It is a, it is a difficult thing to be away from home um, so often and it never ends. It, um, uh, the, you get a little bit of a break, and before you know it, they'll be uh, over to South Africa, then the World Cup, and then playing in Australia this summer. Yeah, we'll have a chat about all of that in just a second. Just a couple of big things to come out of the last day. A lot of controversy around this ball change for England. What did you make of it? Yeah, so it was very interesting. Just before the rain curtailed day um, four, Usman Khawaja got hit a nasty blow in the helmet. Mm. And after that, they changed the ball. You can only assume that it's the actual impact on the helmet that... Um, caused the ball to be changed, which shows how um, how brutal the game can be. And incidentally, I think this, this game had more balls hitting batters. This series had more balls striking batters. It was um, 98 before going into the final day than any series they have uh, where they've kept records like that. So it was a, a tough series. But they then, they're meant to change the ball with a like for like. They bring out the box and presumably the ball that was the closest to um, a like for like wasn't particularly similar. And even... In the eleven, the eleven days, the eleven balls before rain stopped play yesterday, that new ball, the replacement ball, started to move around, whereas the old one had not been. And this morning, um, the ball was moving everywhere. Uh, Australia lost three wickets and probably did well not to have lost uh, more. That Steve Smith was using all of his skill to um, uh, keep out balls that were swinging alarmingly. So it really did change the character of the game. And Ricky Ponting made the point that they probably need more balls in that box. That there, there needs to be um, a, a sufficiently large selection such that you do get like-for-like. Like. And it didn't happen here. And that's one of the 
that's one of the vagaries of the game, I suppose. But it was pretty, uh, pretty disappointing for an Australian fan. Now, one of the other things, uh, one of the odder things uh, coming out of uh, the match last night was the uh, Steve Smith and Ben Stokes. Now, Ben Stokes, well, you'll be able to talk us through it more because you were up. I've just been watching it on replay whilst we've been talking. Ben Stokes catches the ball and then, well, he probably said he was celebrating, but it comes out of his hand very quickly. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's on Twitter. Um, your thoughts, uh, Paul, on that? What should it have been? It was another weird moment from a very interesting series. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. I think they got the decision right, but it was weird. It mm. was bizarre because uh, it flicked Steve Smith uh, on the glove off the spinner, it went to uh, Stokes at leg slip, who jumped up high and caught it. And as his hand kind of then, um, his hand went down and then he kind of straight away moved to throw the ball up in the air basically belted his hand against his thigh, a pretty uncoordinated move from a man who was extraordinary coordination, and it dislodged the ball. And the umpire uh, sort of gave it not out almost... Uh, it was almost as though the umpire thought maybe that there hadn't been a glove on it, but the English players were bemused as to what to do because Stokes kind of knew that he'd probably dropped it. But then I thought... I think they thought, well, it's Steve Smith. We might as well roll the dice. So they went through the review. Uh, massive spike on um, Ultra Edge. The crowd cheering, and they see it caught in his hand and the crowd cheering and then all of a sudden um to their mortification the umpire said no he's um he's still in the act of um celebrating there and he's dropped the ball so you've got to be able to control not only the the ball into your hand but the prior uh, the, the subsequent disposal of the ball and stokes had no objections to that he was a bit disappointed that they lost the review but it could have been um a, a heartbreaking moment yeah. for, for him because at that at that point it looked like he um might be going to lose the match and um listeners may remember Steve War in uh, the mm. 1999 World Cup having Herschel Gibbs um, uh, uh, drop it in a similar fashion and um, the sort of apocryphal line Steve War said was um, you've just dropped the World Cup um, and uh, luckily for Stokes he didn't just drop the um, well the, the two all series um, series retaining win uh, now, Stuart Broad uh, announced his retirement from Test Match Cricket the other day after this Test Match. I know Australians love to hate him, but, gee, he's been a very, very good bowler and entertaining to watch over many years for the England cricket team. Well, I've got reason to hate his family more because of my earliest Ashes memory is his dad scoring 300s <laughs> off Australia and the, 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 the second to last time England has won in, in Australia. But um, I really like him. Um, I, I think that he's... Uh, uh, box office cricketer. Um, it, it's, he's a pantomime villain. I don't think I don't think any Australians really disliked him, except maybe when he didn't walk when he nicked it to slip um, in 2013. But he's taken more wickets against Australia than any other um, cricketer in Test cricket. Um, and what a way to go out! Um, right on top of his game, uh, age 37, looked like he could have gone on for years, but yeah. um, two wickets to finish it when it was Australia were. Didn't look like they were going to win, but they were, you know, Kerry was, was hanging in there. And um, there was just a period where England were starting to get nervous. Broad went bang, bang and finished it in, in emphatic fashion. So, yeah, wonderful career. And I'm sort of, sort of sad to see him go. It's obviously the end of an era with the, the last time that Broad and Anderson will play together. Yeah, been a great duo for many, many years. All right, uh, got a couple of minutes left. What's next for this Australian team? The Ashes done and dusted. The World Test Championship done and dusted. There was such a big build-up. Uh, before this, but there's not a lot of rest for at least some of these players with some uh, one days in the World Cup not too far away. Yeah, absolutely. There's I mean, there's, there's T20 franchise cricket that's mm. going on here, there and everywhere that some of them will be involved in. But the next time the Australian men's team is actually playing is in about a month's time. We are going to South Africa to sort of 
it's the, the the tour that we had to cancel during COVID that has been swapped from a test tour to a, a one day tour. Um, so uh, Australia will be um, over there and um, six, I think six one days and three T uh, twenty. So it's going to be good preparation for the World Cup. Um, plenty of late nights for those of us who like to watch it because it'll be starting at um, very obscure hours. Then they have three one-dayers in India ahead of the World Cup, then the 50-over World Cup. So very, very busy schedule, but a few months, a few weeks off from the Australian side, at least, in the, in the coming weeks. And that uh, the series against South Africa begins on the 7th of September, I think it is. So the 7th of September. So they get, a, they get about a month off. And then, of course, as you say, the World Cup, not too far away either, beginning on the 5th of October. So plenty of cricket for us to look forward to. Paul, great stuff. Appreciate all your work right throughout the Ashes series. And we'll keep chatting once a week in the lead up to the South Africa series, then into the World Cup and then into the summer of cricket because it's going to be another busy six or so months as we wait for the summer to start here, but a lot of cricket to come between now and then. Thanks, mate. Get some sleep and we'll chat again next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks, mate. Paul Dennett from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. He does a great job with both Andrew Mensel, who we speak to on the show as well. We know Julie Sapps very well as well. So uh, must listen to that podcast as well. And Paul will join me on a regular basis as we move towards that South Africa series and the World Cup. 0457 736 736, our text number. You can call the open line on 1300 01 1170. We'll take a break. Breakfast not too far away through Sydney and Brisbane. It is coming up to 10 to 6. It is six to six. I see James Tedesco has come out and said the Roots are still a chance uh, of making the finals. He said throughout the year, whole year when things haven't gone our way, we've dropped our heads and that's resulted in some bad losses. We're just trying to remain confident and have that belief in the team. It's pretty clear now. We've just got to go out and win. We've got no second chances yet. They play Manly on Thursday night. They lose that and their season is officially uh, done. And good news for the Bulldogs. Been talking a bit about the Bulldogs in recent weeks. Still in talks with Connor Watson, but Blake T- Half has signed with the Bulldogs from next year. 24 years of age and uh, Phil Gould very happy with the signing as you'd expect him uh, to be. He says uh, Blake's ability to cover multiple positions adds great value to our squad. He sits behind a number of highly talented players at the very strong South Sydney club and he, and he comes to the Bulldogs for an opportunity. We believe he's ready to take his development to the next level here at the Bulldogs where he'll have more opportunities to shine in the NRL. Uh, so uh, he's played 27 NRL matches so far. Blake Taft, handy pickup for the Bulldogs. Thank you for your company today. Tomorrow on the show, we'll have a chat with Matty Cox in Melbourne. Uh, we'll talk about Buddy Franklin and all the hot topics. Breakfast coming up now, though, in Queensland or Brisbane with Pat and Heels uh, and in Sydney with Vossie and Trent Copeland. I'll catch you back here tomorrow morning from 5 a.m. Have a great Tuesday.